Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. This story was first published on November 22nd of 2015, under the headline, The All-Night Municipal Gunfight in the Frontier Town of Ione. Here we go. Plenty of Oregon towns have been the scene of Old West-style gunfights during the frontier era, but very few of them have ever hosted one in which nearly everybody in the town participated. The tiny town of Ione in northern-central Oregon is one that has. The occasion of Ione's experiment in the mixture of a gunfight and a block party two great tastes that taste great together, right, was the arrival on the scene of a local troublemaker named Charles Earhart. Earhart was well known to the citizens of Ione. At various times a wheat farmer and a saloon keeper, he was also an ex-convict, having just been pardoned out of the joint six months earlier on charges stemming from a drunken shooting spree, also in Ione. He was one of those fellows who's perfectly nice until he takes a drink, but after that, watch out. That night, his boilers were well-stoked, and he was on the town to settle a score. Before his jail stretch, when he was keeping his saloon in town, he'd boarded with a woman named Mary Granger. He and Mrs. Granger apparently got along a little too well for the tastes of her husband. Whether there was anything to be jealous of or not is unknown, but Mr. Granger was confident enough in his conclusions that he moved out, taking the couple's two sons with him and leaving three daughters, ages 10, 13, and 14, with her. The couple had a fourth daughter as well, who had married a man named Henry Clark and left the nest already. Months went by. Earhart went to prison, served a year and a half, was pardoned by the governor, and moved back to town. Mary Granger left her boarding house business and took a job as manager of the Ione Hotel. And then, in late June of 1909, she offered Earhart a job on her staff. When news of this offer reached the ears of Henry Clark and his wife, their eldest daughter, remember, the two of them confronted Mary and demanded that she fire Earhart and remove her other daughters from his influence. News of this interference reached Earhart's ears on Thursday, July 2nd. He apparently stewed on it for a day, but Friday night found him in a more proactive mood. Quote, Early Friday evening, Earhart began to tank up and at dusk went down to the hotel conducted by Mrs. Granger, the Hepner Gazette reporter wrote. Upon meeting the woman in front of the hotel on the sidewalk, a quarrel ensued. The quarrel, after reaching the warm stage, was taken up by Henry Clark. Clark was, of course, just the man Earhart wanted to see, and he pulled a big knife out of his pocket with which to continue the conversation, escalating the imminent conflict from fists to knives. Clark responded in kind by escalating things a bit more, with a revolver. Mary Granger jumped between the two men, trying to hold Clark, who fired over her shoulder at the fleeing Earhart. Then, shaking free, he ran to the street and fired three more shots after the fast-retreating ex-con. All were clean misses. But Earhart didn't scare that easy, not at any rate when drunk. 
Running to Walker's general merchandise store, he kicked out the plate glass front window and ducked into the building, making for the gun counter. He was looking for a Winchester rifle with which to continue the budding arms race with Clark. Luckily for everyone involved, he couldn't find the rifles in the dark, but he did find a dandy double-barreled shotgun, and grabbing a couple boxes of shells, loaded in another stroke of luck for all involved with number one birdshot, he headed for the door, bashing the lock off with the butt of his shotgun to let himself out. Then he struck out for Clark's house. Nobody was there. But on his way back to town, Earhart met Clark and another man on the road. Leveling the shotgun at them, he ordered them to climb over a nearby fence, and as they did so, he pumped a charge of birdshot into Clark's retreating back. Luckily for Clark, it didn't penetrate enough to inflict more than a painful flesh wound and knock him off the fence, where presumably he had the good sense not to move. Meanwhile, I own residents who'd seen or heard the burglary at Walker's store had reported the situation to the town marshal and the sheriff's deputy. Soon, virtually every man in Ione was excitedly and, in most cases, drunkenly, after all it was Friday night, hurrying home, arming himself, and presenting himself for service on the posse. The officers were gathering and instructing the excited members of the still-growing posse on the main street in town, apparently unaware that their quarry was sitting quietly on the steps of the drugstore next to a friend whom he'd forced at gunpoint to accompany him. Finally, Earhart looked over at his friend, remarked that it was his turn to make a move, and started up the street. The movement caught someone's eye, and a shout went up from the posse. Stop right there! Earhart's reply was two quick blasts from the shotgun as he took to his heels, heading for the far side of a blacksmith's shop. The path before him was lighted by the muzzle flashes of at least a dozen posse members' rifles and pistols, but somehow none of the bullets hit him, although one did graze his back. As he ran, Earhart tripped over an elderly hobo, who had spread his bedroll out between two houses. The hobo raised his head, trying to see what had happened, and a member of the posse, seeing him there and thinking he was Earhart, shot him inflicting a severe chest wound. Quote, As soon as the facts were realized, the posse was considerably rattled and Earhart's whereabouts were lost track of, the Gazette reported. Assuming Earhart was in one of the warehouses, the posse surrounded them. They soon learned their mistake when the shotgun bellowed again from a nearby bush on the hillside behind them, sending a cloud of stinging 160 caliber pellets at a posse member from 80 yards away. The posse member, peppered with shot but not really hurt, fell to the ground and started yelling for help. Morrow County Sheriff's Deputy Walter Kaysen went to help him, and himself got a charge of shot in the back and another in the legs. After that, the posse reformed and waited for daylight, which finally came and revealed Earhart's hideout. Tired, sober, and suddenly aware of the hopelessness of his situation, Earhart started crying and begging for mercy. He came out and was soon safely arrested and shackled and on his way to Hepner in the care of the sheriff. Behind him, he left the town of Ione peppered with bullet holes, more than fifty of them on the north side of Main Street alone. On the way to the sheriff's office, Earhart and Deputy Walter Kaysen, who remember Earhart had hit with two long-range blasts from the shotgun, got into a nasty verbal fight. It ended with Earhart threatening to come back to Ione and kill Kaysen, a threat that several other people overheard. Earhart pleaded not guilty to all charges, and his trial was a bit of a circus. Quote, In outlining his case to the jury, Earhart's attorney declared that they would prove the shot fired by Earhart was fired accidentally as the result of his stumbling as he walked along the sidewalk. The Gazette's reporter wrote, he said further that they would prove that a conspiracy was formed by the armed mob for the purpose of murdering the accused man. Not surprisingly, it didn't work. 
he drew four and a half years in the state pen. One imagines the citizens of Ione didn't much look forward to Earhart's release date. Of course, he came straight home, but he found the reception awaiting him somewhat warmer than he might have anticipated. Maybe Earhart intended to settle his score with Kaysen upon his return to town, and maybe he'd forgotten all about it, but when he arrived, he found Kaysen waiting for him. The two men went for their pistols. Kaysen shot him through the heart. Key sources in this story have included back issues of the Hepner Gazette from 1908, 1909, and 1910, the Hepner Herald from 1914, and the Pendleton East Oregonian from July 1909. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff. Plus a book, including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Facara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶